to Useful Idiots Monday morning call-in show. Calling Useful Idiots, calling all Useful Idiots. We're so excited to have you here joining us. We're so excited to be in this call-in with you. Of course, you can um, support Useful Idiots at uh, usefulidiots.substack.com. Make sure that you catch us at 10 a.m. on Monday mornings when we go over the Sunday morning news shows uh, that we watch so that you don't have to. And so I'm Katie Halper, and of course, I'm very glad and excited to be joined by Aaron Mate. And um, we are open to your questions. Uh, and we already have a caller. We already got a couple of callers. So let's just uh, let's just start taking the call. So our first caller is John. Hi, John. Uh, hi, Katie. Uh, great to be here. Um, I, I was wondering what your guys' opinion was on um, some of these reports coming out that, um, uh, well, first of all, one was uh, regarding uh, Gonzalo Lira, who uh, apparently is alive, um, and all of the people who uh, were, you know, cheering for his death. Um, that was pretty sick, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I guess, uh, secondly, just the, the general, the usual thing for me is like, when, when do people wake up? This is so much like, you know, the Iraq war, you know, the media just cheering for war. Um, what do you guys think? I think, uh, to quote Tupac, they got money for war, but can't feed the poor. Mm. And that's just how it is. That's just how it is. Um, and in terms of Gonzalo Lira, yeah. So for those who don't know, he's a, he's a journalist from Chile who is based in Ukraine, very critical of the Ukrainian government. And he had tweeted, you know, if you don't hear from me in 12 hours, then consider me disappeared by the Ukrainian government. And last week, there was a point in which uh, he was gone. He was a, he was AWOL. And it turns out that and people were very concerned that he was picked up and even killed. And that was a you know, uh, a widespread suspicion, but then he turned up, it turns out he was detained, but he was freed. And there were voices on the Ukrainian right who were claiming that he had been killed and they were cheering it. They were, they were celebrating it as like a good thing. And that's just how things are right now. It's scary. Has he spoken out? Do we know anything about his, did he speak out against, uh, not against, about being detained or? He did. I didn't actually didn't, I didn't watch what he said, okay. but I know that he talked about it. There's a podcast called The Duran where he, he appeared and spoke about it. I didn't see it. John, did you watch it? Um, I, I was uh, seeing him with uh, Richard Medhurst. Okay. And what did um, he say? Um, it, well, he was saying he can only say so much. He basically had some type of a non-disclosure agreement that he would discuss anything after he was taken into custody until he was released. So that's weird, but, you know, just glad he's alive. Um, and I never had heard of him before, but he's just a, a, actually a very charming uh, news person. So, you know, I'm very glad he's alive. All right. Well, John, thanks for the call. Thank you. Thanks, John. Okay, Andrew. Hello. 
So Hi. I have a question for you that's kind of serious, kind of a joke, but hearing this stuff about the Battle of Kiev that never happened and how the Ukrainians won and they need to have more victories like that. Um, you know, if there was a Battle of Kiev, it would look like Mariupol. Why doesn't it look like Mariupol? Because there was no battle in Kiev. They didn't try. They they obviously committed forces to the area, but look at Kiev. It's not anywhere near as destroyed as Mariupol. There's a reason for that. So they're making up fake victories out of nowhere, just out of whole cloth. And my question is, is there any way or point at which the U.S. media or State Department would say, okay, Ukraine is lost or Russia has achieved an objective of some kind? Because to me, it feels like it's just an ever-moving shifting of the goalposts. Like they could nuke Kiev and the media would be saying Ukraine won because Russia can't occupy a nuclear wasteland or something. Like I literally have no idea what it would take for the media to acknowledge a loss. Like what, what would be the line? Like, <laughs> That's a great question. I mean, what do you think? I think they'd have to kill Zelensky or something, but I don't think they're going to do that. No, they're not. And even then, they would just say uh, he's a martyr now, and whoever's the next guy, you know, you're the new hero. So I don't know. I really don't know. But it's like Russia's taking territory. They're doing things that the thing that gets me is they've said their military objectives from day one. They haven't changed, and just we're not allowed to listen to that. Where it has to be taken as oh, that's just propaganda. They that they want to secure a land bridge, that they want to get water to Crimea, that they want to secure the independence of the LNR and DPR, that they want to secure Crimea. Apparently, this is all just lies. We can't listen to any of it. So what are the actual war goals? Well, they keep saying regime change. Why didn't they? Like, it just doesn't make any sense. Well, if it's, the well, goal is regime it's change. It's a classic Russian playbook. Exactly. <laughs> RPB, guys. When so we're doubt, just, RPB. yes. Russian playbook, yeah. We're just so confused. The only thing we can say is it's they're so clever, basically. Um, yeah, I don't know. I really don't know what it would take, but uh, I don't think Russia is going to do regime change the way that they want to, that they're reporting that Russia wants to. I think they're going to maybe take Odessa, but, you know, in a scenario where Odessa is taken and they have like landlocked Crimea or not, sorry, Ukraine, and they have the LNR and DPR secure in Crimea. And then Russia says we win. The media is going to say, "Well, that's a loss," and Ukraine actually survived. They they won the war. They survived. That's my prediction. I totally agree with that. Yeah, I completely agree. All right. Well, thanks for your time. Thanks, Andrew. Thank you. Thanks, Andrew. Okay. Next, we got Anthony. Hi, Anthony. Unmute yourself. Well, thank you so much. Um, yeah, I don't know. I just saw how, uh, I mean, it seems like there's a headline every day. Millions, billions going to Ukraine. Zelensky requests $7 billion, And it's just nuts. Like, even the, uh, I mean, even if you support Ukraine, you got to look at this and be like, wow, this is a little outrageous. Where does America come up with all this money? <laughs> That's just what I'm thinking. They got money for war, but they can't feed the poor. I mean, Tupac said it best. It's just, um, and we all take it. It's just, they're, they're denying people their basics right in front of our faces and then shoveling off money to fund a proxy war in Ukraine. And there's no political opposition to it nothing nothing 
No one ever asked how they're going to fit for it, right? Yeah, useful idiots. All right, have a good one. Thank you. Okay, thanks, Anthony. Now we have Matan. Hey, guys, thanks for taking my call. Of course. Um, so something I'm thinking about uh, quite a lot is how do we how do we communicate um, left wing like real left wing ideas in a simple way for people to digest and understand because I feel that the the quote unquote the weakness of a real left wing ideology is that it cannot be summoned in like two sentences. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Yes. And I just how about, uh, I how about they got money for war but can't feed the poor? Yeah, that is that's a good start. Yeah, it is. I know. It's um I just posted a like a story on Instagram a few days ago. Sometimes I go on little rants and uh it was like a like a poll question, like, uh, do you, you know, I asked, uh, do you know what a nuclear war means? Uh, yes, no. And third answer was like, I love cats. And somebody that I half know, um, that I thought, I mean, that is very intelligent. Um, she answered no. And something from my, um, something told me that she was not kidding, you know? So I, I just sent her a message and I was like, well, that means total annihilation of both sides. And she was like, oh yeah, I kind of thought that what it meant, but it's just so hard to, you know, to imagine. And it dawned on me, like how much people just have no perception of how dangerous the situation is right now. Of what's at stake. Yeah, not because they don't understand that a uh, like you know like a world war three can break out it's just they don't know what it means like they they don't really understand what the consequences are it's it's crazy to me yeah i think that th- there needs to be some better like education around this for sure maybe some explainer videos because i think it's hard for people to wrap their head around war is bad we're like uh Ukrainians are civilians should not be killed and what that means for the United States policy. Right. Yeah. I think that it actually, it's, it's hard in some ways to, to explain it. It shouldn't be, but we have to do some popular education. Yeah. I know how Aaron's going to do that. Aaron's going to do that by quoting Tupac which is a good first step, but we probably need a more robust plan. It might be more effective than anything else I have to say, just constantly quoting that line on repeat and see see how it goes. I mean, why not? Why not, yeah. No, but I think, Matan, that's a good question. Do you have any ideas for what you think is is missing? Um, I think think what's missing is that, well, I don't know. This is, uh, you know, I, it's from my own kind of perspective. I don't know if that's true, but I think that, a lot of us are too um, maybe too caught up in like um, a sort of a, of a, an outrage or rage or anger yeah. towards the world that like, you know like how come people don't understand that and uh, I, I'm trying to take lately more of the approach of really really trying to speak to people in eye level you know and not like not in a condescending way, 
right. just like speak about stuff really calmly for sure and not like being yeah i don't know how to explain it too well but uh like know, not vil- not vilifying them if they don't already get it yeah exactly because i feel people just um yeah people are getting frustrated by the fact that when they speak with people that don't have the same mindset that, that, like like them they're just so unaware of so many hyster- like historical facts or or you know background stories and politics and whatever they just like either they get angry or they just don't do it you know and i i just try to really um uh, make my opinion clear in every form possible whether it's yeah. like the in my family's whatsapp group or at work or whatever you know yeah yeah no i think that's important and we we have to realize that of course people are not going to understand it given the media you know how much the media manufactures consent. I also think that there's a difference between like how we talk about, you know, Biden or um, the, you know, war thirsty media and how we talk about people who I think are in good faith supporting uh, uh, escalation. Yeah. I think that's an important distinction. Yeah. Right. Totally. And the last thing I just, um, this morning I I told my girlfriend that I feel that as, as an Israeli, I don't know if you remember, we talked a few days ago, yeah, I feel like I have some kind of a, in that explanation, like in that, um, uh, you know, that information war, although it's it's not a real bad information war, but like I have a card as an Israeli because a lot of Europeans, especially in Berlin, where, where I live right now, they, many times when uh, there's something going on in Israel in the news, they, they ask me like, how come you, uh, you know, you develop your political views in in that way? Um, although you were born in Israel and everything and whatever. So, you know, now I, I'm coming from this vantage point of like, well, you know, if you trusted me about Palestine and Israel, so you, you saw that I can see the world clearly, although I'm coming from that place, then listen to, at least listen to me now. You know what I mean? Yeah, that's a good way to do it. Yeah, that's it. Thank you. Okay. Well, thanks, Matan. Ciao. Thank you, Matan. Good question. Uh, something we've got to all think about, uh, for reals. Okay. Johnson. Hey, thanks for, uh, thanks for taking my call. Uh, it's good to be with you all. Yeah. And I, I really appreciate the, the Tupac quotes. <laughs> um, yeah, listening to him in middle school and then like coming back to Tupac you know, he uh, was really telling us what's up and he had to go. Mm-hmm. Uh, so a little bit is like, I just, I'm just like here to kind of like express my sadness about like how, you know, what benefits the elites are elites in the U.S., you know, kind of does the opposite to the masses. Um, seems like a situation where we can't really get out of Right. It's like, let's send billions, you know, to Ukraine and let's not feed the poor. And so I guess like my question is, is just like basically like when you're writing and reflecting on this stuff, like what's y'all's process for writing for a popular audience about stuff that kind of goes against the zeitgeist and popular, more, you know, traditional media? I mean, uh, you know, I think you can. You can see from Monday morning that we try to be funny. We do our best to be funny. Don't always succeed, but we try. And we try to be truthful. You know, there's nothing more than that. 
people are deprived of the truth constantly. That's what the job of the media basically is, is to manufacture consent for the state line, not actually inform people about what the state is actually doing. So we're there just to speak truth. Yeah, and I, I really appreciated your piece on Syria and your interview with uh, the NATO general, whose name I'm not going to try to pronounce, but yeah, I mean, yeah he's a former he's a former NATO advisor. Uh, oh, uh, you mean Doug McGraw? Well, there's so the, recently I interviewed Jack Jack Bo, who was a former NATO advisor, and he was very you know he had a lot of interesting things to say about Ukraine and Russia that go against the grain. And then previously I've also interviewed Doug McGregor, who was a uh, he did serve actually in the NATO command as a strategist. And he was, uh, he's a colonel in the U.S. military. And he also is, um, you know, uh, goes against the grain. Yeah, thanks for, thanks for clarifying that. I guess I wasn't sure. But yeah, I mean, like, so, I mean, how do you, how do you do what you do? Like, where, how do we add voices to, to, to the, to the small amount of truth mechanism, you know? We all just do our best. There's no magic formula. It's very difficult to be a, truth speaker in this media system i mean look at i mean look, look at how cnn plus yeah, CNN, yeah, right but like but even even there where where the model of being state propagandists and partisan hacks is such a, an abject business failure i mean that's what cnn plus's collapse means it doesn't matter because it's you know the media is not even just there to make profit. It's also there to serve a propaganda function. So even when it fails, it still can't lose because there will always be resources for people who want to be partisan hacks and and government stenographers. That's just how it is. So it, it, it's difficult, but you know we all just got to keep doing what we're doing. There's no magic formula, unfortunately. Keep on keeping on. That's right. Well, thank you so much, Johnson. Okay, Gregory. Oh, Gregory, okay. Uh, TJ. Well, great show as always. Um, I just got to give it up to both of you, both Katie and Aaron. I mean, and I know it can be exhausting, right? Covering these same issues, making a little ground when it comes to truth. But what you both are doing is so, so critical and so important. Um, okay. So keep it up. In, in situations where it's, it's probably information overload for a lot of folks, um, you guys are both making a difference. You really are one person at a time. TJ, I appreciate that. But I just want to say it's not exhausting. We're just sitting, we're sitting in front of a laptop. It's, so it's not exhausting at all. I mean, people who actually go to war zones, that's the real deal stuff. We're just... We're just sitting, making jokes in front of a laptop. So, you know, we're lucky I'm to do it. And I'm pretty tired. <laughs> but that has nothing to do with it. Yeah. That, yeah, that's like my least favorite. You know, like, you know, when journalists are like, I'm so tired of uh, sitting in front of my computer. It's, you know, it's, it's embarrassing. I, I get embarrassed for the profession when people say that, seriously. Well, hey, fair enough. I to give you both recognition. Work I appreciate that. I mean, we appreciate what, that. And it's so hard now to go places and actually get real journalism anymore real coverage. And I feel like both of you do an exceptional job at that. And especially in an audio format, um, we can kind of bypass the whole bot situation and information noise that we run into when you just read text. So I think audio is the future. And I think that's how we're going to get people to wake up and sort of listen. So um, I just want to give credit where credit's due and just say, keep it up. I love your show as always. Thank you so much. Thanks. Thanks a lot. Thanks, TJ. I appreciate that. Yeah. 
I just got a major energy boost from that. Less tired. Less okay. tired. Great. Yeah. <laughs> like now. Uh, Ed. Ed, unmute yourself by hitting the mic icon at the bottom right of your screen. Okay, five seconds, Ed, then we'll come back to you if you can't work it out now. One, two, three, four, five. And again, it's the bottom right of your screen. There's a mic icon. Okay, uh, come back later. Will. Hey, Will. Hey, guys. Uh, long-term fan. Um, the secret sauce, probably Aaron, more rapping, Katie, more puns. Mm, so, good uh, to Katie. Yeah, Katie, I've had a nerd crush on you forever, but we'll talk oh, about that later. Um, I, my question is, you know, it's obvious, and you guys have made me very aware about uh, Ukraine becoming a quagmire. And it's obvious from the Western perspective, Republicans and Democrats want to write a blank check for the war, more, more money for the Pentagon, defense contractors, all that. It's a win-win from them, sucking Putin in. But I guess from the other side, if you flip it over and start thinking about Russia and China, what their game plan is and what their end game is, right? So thinking from like chess terms, um, they seem to be sacrificing some pawns. Uh, Russia did not go in with their full military. Um, China's been surprisingly quiet. Do you think, and I, I just had the thought during the call that perhaps it's like a magician doing a distraction, waving a hand, say, oh, look over here when um, they're trying to use other tactics to bring down the U.S. So one of the things that's come up recently is like the petrodollar. So I'll, I'll get to my question really quick in one second. Um, I'm being cognizant of time. But the so if you look at um, like what happened with the U.S. after the, um, you know, took over the pound sterling for Britain when Britain went under, then the U.S. dollar has been the the main currency. But we know that China has been negotiating like with Saudi Ramco, others to, um, you know, undermine the petrodollar. Do you guys have any thoughts about, this is my question, what China or Russia, their end game may be um, to outfox the U.S. in that sense? So that's, that's my question. Hmm. I have no idea. I, I can't think that, that at that level. I'm just not a uh, strategist like that. I don't know. It's, good, it's a good question. I mean, Obviously, for Russia to have done this, they had to have, unless they're completely crazy, which I don't think they are, they had to have factored in the predictable consequences, which would have mean basically having Russia cut off from the global economy. And, uh, you know, but I don't have any insight into their thinking and what their plan is. Certainly, I do think we're in a new era of the world, and I think, but I just don't know what their end game is. Sorry. I mean, what do you think? Um, I, I think that, um, I do think that perhaps they are trying, it, it is somewhat of a distraction. I mean, if you think about the amount of debt that the U S owes to China, um, after world war II, we manufactured most of the things that were made in the world. Um, after that it has, if you look at world empires, I mean, student of history, you go, you know, Greece, Rome, West into Europe, into Britain, now the U.S., um, the baton seems to be passing westward. I know that a number of economists were writing last year or two that the and, and certainly Chris Hedges and some of the other people, um, you know, I, I know and I know friends of the show have brought up the fact that the U.S. is something of a dying empire 
holding on by its fingertips. And so the downfall of most empires comes from inside. So if you look at the financial industries basically cannibalizing the U.S. economy and capitalism, which is built on infinite growth, um, both of those things, you know, Richard Wolff talks about this. Um, other people um, talk about this, Professor West. Um, you know, it just seems that that's what's going on. The U.S.'s empire is already sunset. But um, also the last thing I wanted to say, if you think about history too, Rome was involved with uh, Carthage, other large foreign wars. Um, the senators, the other people at home were bankrupting the system. The U.S. seems to be doing exactly the same thing. I haven't heard that called out very much. Um, mm. But also if you think about bread and circuses, you know, they had the gladiatorial games. U.S., we have the Kardashians. Right. Um, <laughs> all, this, all the streaming things, you know what I'm saying? You, you're, feel free to plagiarize all this. Um, but, you know, I, I think about all these things and how they're all interlinked and yeah. it just seems to be painting a picture where I wanted to put a, start an online Deadpool of what was going to get the human race first. The irony was nobody would be there to collect it. So whether it's nuclear <laughs> war, whether it's climate change, it's all these other things. Um, I feel like I've taken too much time. I want to pass the baton to other people. But these are the thoughts that I've had. Yeah. Um, I've listened to your show for a long time. I'm just starting to engage. So really appreciate you guys. Well, well, thanks for those comments. I, I, yeah. You gave us a lot to think about. I just, I, I wish I could uh, have something insightful to say, but I don't. Have, but I, do, I do on it. Do on it in the next show. Will do. <laughs> yeah. Will do. And also in the meantime, I don't know if you heard it, but I had an interview recently. recently. Last week I posted it with um, Richard Wolf. Where he talks awesome. about this. Yeah, he's he's a and I've studied Marxism essentially. Also, I mean, I read all yeah. the time, obviously. But um, yeah, let's keep keep chatting about this. Um, all right, yeah, but yeah, great, great stuff, guys. Thanks. YouTube.com yeah, slash the Katie Halper Show or wherever you find your podcast. And guys, it's such I did such a well. He's he's so great. There's a cool Patreon only where Richard Wolf talks about his family, his mom being in concentration camp in France. It's really interesting. So anyway, shout, shouting that out. Thanks, okay. guys. Uh, thank you, Will. Thanks, Will. Okay. Mark. Kitty, I have a question. Yeah. What is a nerd crush? I don't know, actually. I guess it's when you're a nerd and there's another nerd you have a crush on, or maybe it's just an intellectual crush as opposed to, like, a, you know, another kind of crush. It's, so, it's Will, both. It's both. So oh, you're calling, are you calling Katie a nerd? Or are you saying that you're a nerd and you have a crush? We're, we're both uh, nerds and we're on the same wavelength, so it's a okay. nerd crush. So. All right. But, Katie, did you accept... Do you accept yeah, the nerd characterization? Are you a nerd? Uh, yeah. Okay. All right. Okay. Yeah, All right. Takes one cool. to know one. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> okay. All right, guys. All right. Thanks, nerd. All right. <laughs> Mark. Hello, Mark. Hello. Can you hear me? Yeah. Hey, Katie. Hey, Aaron. Hey. Um, I actually want to talk about uh, your interview with uh, Richard Wolf. Um, I thought it was interesting, but I was struck by... I was struck by what he said about uh, the decline of the, uh, like, a, you know, the American Empire. <laughs> he talked about uh, a million dead Americans, and uh, the Chinese, the Chinese death count was like ten thousand or something. I don't know. I, I, I don't believe that one. I think the Chinese death count is probably high, but you're not getting the real information. Um, if you look at some of the data that's out there, it's basically. It goes up to like six thousand or five thousand, just flat lines for two years. Um, thought that was an interesting uh, point that struck me. <laughs> um, I don't know if you have any comment on that. It's just something I wanted to bring up. Um, and the next thing I want to talk about 
uh, is uh, the fairness doctrine and and how because I like to watch uh, old interview shows back in the day when that was still a thing, and you can just tell just by the questioning and push pet people got on like national programs the uh, stark difference than what it is today. And uh, just any thoughts on that? Yeah, well, I don't really have, uh, I haven't looked into the China stuff, so I don't have any comments on that. And then what is your question on um, on um, the Fairness Doctrine? Well, it used to be a thing until it was struck down by the Supreme Court. And uh, if you, you can watch on YouTube, but it shows, shows back in the day where, uh, you know, where that, that, was, uh, that was being applied. And, you know, you can just tell a stark contrast like i was watching uh old firing line shows and they had uh these marine captains on one of them, one of them being oliver north funny enough uh, about how they didn't see any atrocities or any war crimes in uh in vietnam under their commands and they had pushback from people on the show instead of just one-way narratives that you see today Right now, you got to go to Aaron Mate's pushback to get pushback. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which yeah. I do watch. Yeah. And also, I mean, now we're in an environment where people who kind of think the same way just only watch people who also think the same way. And we have these little clusters, and even within different parts of the spectrum, there's even clusters forming. And there needs to be some way to pull it back in. And I don't know if the fairness doctrine makes a difference anymore because of social media, but, you know, maybe not banning certain people on social media would be uh, some kind of uh, remedy to that. I don't know. Yeah, that's a good place to start. <laughs> Let's not ban people. Let's not ban people. I, I think that's a good place to start. Yeah, I mean, that's basically it. All right. Mark, thanks for the call. Thanks, Mark. Okay. Um, DT. DT, you're unmuted, which is good, but we can't hear you. DT? I think you're too far away from your phone. Can you hear me now? Yeah. Oh, yeah. oh I, I was hooked up on Bluetooth. It was messing up my Anyways, thank you. Um, so I've been a big fan of, you know, alternative media for a while. Um, learning about, you know, um, Breaking Points, Katie Halpert Show, and um, Useful Idiots, Aramate. The one thing that I feel like um, I'm missing is like a greater sense of connection through these. Like CNN has all these different anchors and like people turn it on and it's like an entity. Do you think that's something that like the independent media could try to start moving towards as some sort of like confederacy of channels that have like a more unified hub so people aren't just at the mercy of algorithms and just going out there. And so we could try to create a little more unification on our front to turn into some actual change in the world instead of complaining about the current central hub. I hear you. I hear you. Look, it's a great idea. It should happen, but that would require cooperation and collaboration among a lot of people who have petty grievances about each other and there's a lot of ego and everyone's kind of staked out their little territory and no one wants to share. 
you know, and I kind of, I can't, I'm not like criticizing. I, I kind of share the sentiment because, you know, it's just, it's, it's a, it's a petty place. So it would be great to overcome that. Someone should do it. It just, it's not going to be me, but, but, but you're exactly right. That, that should happen. You know, Aaron likes to quote um, Tupac. And for this one, I'm going to quote uh, Vanilla Ice. Stop, collaborate and listen. So true. Absolutely. So true. And that, that could change. That could change everything right there, Katie, when when you drop that quote. Yep. Yep. All these petty fights between lefty personalities, maybe that is what will change the game and get everyone to, to work together. I think if you keep dropping the Tupac lines, <laughs> and I drop that one. Yeah. No, I, I think what you're saying is true. I don't know how it could happen. You know, I'll give you, like, there was an effort to do something like that recently. There were some people who were, like, putting together, like, a progressive channel. Yeah. Okay. And... It just kind of went away. It just, you know, it just, it was supposed to happen, but it didn't happen. And it was like a, I don't remember exactly what happened. It was a money thing or something, but just always something happens. Like so many times I can just tell you so many times I've been in talks about something happening. Oh, we're going to do this and yeah. we're going to, and it just, it just doesn't happen. It's just, yeah. it's just how media, like especially lefty media just goes. There's a lot of, there's a lot of planning. People, people have good intentions, but, but the money isn't there. And so that may, and there's also a lot of petty infighting. So it just makes things difficult. Yeah. So maybe one day. Um, Masha. Hi, good morning. Good morning. Morning. I also want to own up to having a nerd crush on you, Katie, although it's been this thing more like a very respectful, like uh, following that I've um, engaged in of your work since uh, left bitches that are, that are oh. right and all, all kinds of stuff I've, I've sought out um, everything you've had to say. So, so there you go. <laughs> Thank you so much. Yeah. So I just wanted to pick up on um, that uh, clip from uh, the Ukrainian prime minister, Shmihal, uh, that he said he wanted to cleanse our territories of Russian inhabitants and, uh, and re- recover our country with Russian f- frozen assets. Like that's, that's a pretty, like um, intense kind of like rhetorical position to take as a prime minister. Yes. I feel that like in your, in your show, we kind of sped through that. Like there wasn't much commentary, but like I wrote it down and then like just seeing it written down, it was like, that's super extreme. Yeah. Of course. You know, the reason I, I didn't make fun of that because he's, because English is not his first language. Uh-huh. So I was thinking to make fun of that, it might be, you know, but his, when he means no, cleanse, I- when he means, when he means cleanse, I just don't. I I was thinking he, he probably didn't mean cleanse in the way that that we think of a cleanse as an ethnic cleansing. And we talked about removing Russians. I think he just meant Russian soldiers, not all ethnic Russians inside Ukraine. Now there are people, of course, inside the Ukrainian government and in in the Ukrainian military who do want to cleanse Ukraine of all ethnic Russians. That's been their project for the last eight years. So. It would have been, you know, I should have pointed that out. But I also, I also was thinking, I don't want to go after a guy just in case this is a case of just English not being his first language. I hear you, but one can assume that he's had yeah. like the best of, uh, you know, like media training right. and, and briefings and prepared statements for him and, and like has had lots of opportunity, right? And like preparation to go on Western media. I think uh, must have gotten in with those talking points. So I think, yeah, I think maybe we were a little remiss. 
Well, I just think it's, um, uh, you know, I, I'm not saying you were remiss, but um, one can assume the best of faith. But I do think that the, it's a kind of like dog whistle in a way, too, right? Like that that the kind of like a civilian Westerner, genteel like person <laughs> maybe would, you know, kind of uh, either dismiss or, or kind of refuse intellectually to kind of truly engage with. But but like rabid ultranationalists certainly would, right? Um, and then that brings me to my second thing I wanted to raise. Aaron, you had said about those like fundraising efforts and campaigns. They're not fundraising their uh, manufacturing consent for war. And I couldn't agree more. And not only that, but making ordinary U.S. citizens complicit in U.S. arms dealing. Right. And that's a refer reference, right, to some people who weren't there to uh, Jay Tapper, who was yes. telling people to donate to um, a cause for Ukraine and warning people against getting, uh, what's the word, um, complacent and like uh, immune to the feeling of outrage. Yeah, absolutely. And it feels almost like a sales technique, you know, that one of like the more the more they pay, the happier they are with the product. You know, it's like you're you're complicit, not only through like the literal handing over of money for the war process, but you're also kind of like mentally, intellectually, emotionally complicit because U.S. citizens are not only through taxes, but like in every other way paying, um, you know, so so they, they have to be involved, like they have to be engaged and, and like fully wholeheartedly behind the war effort now. Right. Yeah. yeah. They have more, more buy-in. Yeah, that's exactly it. By the way, Max Blumenthal's nickname for Jake Tapper is Fake Yapper. Oh, that's so good. It's pretty good. That's so good. I thought I thought I was clever with Cuck Todd, but <laughs> that's very very clever. Cuck Todd's a good one. That's a classic. It's a classic. classic yeah. And then I love the super mix again. I mean, no matter how many times I see that super mix of journalists just like braying at that press briefing with Psaki to you know pump war fever. Uh, wow. Yeah. Every time I see that, I'm. I, had me struck by <laughs> uh, how all that's missing is them like maybe sharing their networks like affiliate links with arms manufacturers it is really stunning and that's the matchup of the interest that the intercept did that we're referring to um, yes where it's just yeah. like one journalist after another uh, asking for no fly zone asking for like is is biden doing enough is there going to be military uh intervention yeah yeah absolutely absolutely and then just finally, I was really um, happy that your previous caller, Will, brought up some some kind of similarities with uh, with Rome. And uh, and here's here's the thing. I'm not sure, though, that many Westerners know, but uh, there's a famous Roman senator that the Cato Institute is named after um, who ended every speech in the Senate with the phrase and Carthage must fall, regardless of whether there was any reason to bring it up or not. Um, and that was mostly to do with like uh, a feud that he had with another powerful family um, that had links to Carthage. And eventually he was able to, to, um, to manufacture consent for a war on Carthage and he did see Carthage fall. And so mm -hmm. I'm wondering uh, to what extent, well, I'm, I'm, I think I'm probably actually pattern recognition, the, of that rhetorical strategy of repetition, you know, Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. With you know, the example the way, of close the sky, right? Yeah. Oh, I see. Yeah. 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 Right. You know how we like to sometimes uh, come up with song titles uh -huh. that reflect 
what the guests on this and the pundits on the Sunday news shows are saying. So I don't know if you guys know this song, but in the 80s, so after We Are the World came out, a group of Canadian musicians did their own version of We Are the World, like Brian uh-huh. Adams, all the big stars of Canadian rock. And it's called Tears Are Not Enough. And the, the, the chorus is, don't you know that tears are not enough? It's a, I, I love the song. Anyway, so I'm thinking right now, given the current level of U.S. media dissatisfaction with the oh. level of weapons that are being sent to Ukraine, like everyone knows, that we, that, and according to them, that we're not sending enough weapons. I'd love it if like Chuck Todd and Margaret Brennan and Rachel Maddow and all the all the hits, like all, all the stars got together and recorded the song. Like, Don't you know that today's level of weaponry is not enough? Well, that's good. What, Wouldn't that be awesome? Already? Stinger? What do we send them already? Stingers, javelins, you know. Ja- have a don't know that jabs are not <laughs> enough. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Exactly. Yes, <laughs> Let's do it. Let's do, do it. Do the album. I would buy it. <laughs> yeah, really All right. Do. Thanks. Bye bye. Thanks, Mike. Jazz or By the way, I want to give a shout out since we're talking about covers to an amazing performer named Lady Bunny. I saw her this weekend. She's so freaking good. Yeah. Lady and Bunny. She, Lady Bunny. She's great. And she didn't talk. She's actually a big, uh, she's great politics. Everyone should follow her on Twitter. I'm so glad I got to see her live in New York City. Um, let's see, Lady Bunny. And she, and the reason I bring her up is because she does these great, very dirty, very funny uh, covers. Lady Bunny77 on Twitter. And then, oh my God, does she have a great Instagram account, uh, which is, I'll tell you that right now. Lady official lady, it's a fit official underscore lady underscore bunny. Really, one of the funniest Instagrams. Okay, yeah. Oh, and tonight, I just want to give a little announcement that tonight, uh, I will be uh streaming uh a Steven Donziger uh block party that he's having to because he's going to be free. So, yeah, he just he anyway. just walked free. It just happened as we're speaking. Yeah, Mazel Tov, Stephen. Okay. All right, should we go to the next caller? And thanks, thank you, Masha, for your great commentary as always. Um, okay, Johnny. Yeah, yeah. Hey, uh, great news. Stephen Donziger is free. That's really great to hear. That guy has no business being behind bars and uh, should be looked at as a hero. For sure. Uh, I think you guys have a future in vocals. You should do some duos, you know. Pretty good sound. Pretty good sound. So I wanted to answer uh, Martin's question, who called earlier, and also want to – I got a question about the Donbass battle. Uh, so uh, Martin asked, if I recall, you know, is there any way that we can communicate better, right? Uh, and I just – you know, came to me the other day. As you know, that uh, I'm a revolutionary, and I got on YouTube, uh, my U- YouTube channel called Of Mine for You and I. And in that uh, video, I lay out a strategy to get our country back. Well, uh, in the strategy, I, uh, I I I ask people to make their own video, call it whatever they want, and ask four questions. Now, I want to add a five, the fifth question, and it's kind of like getting back. Uh, to those people who use socialism is a dirty word, right? Because, you know, propaganda and how they, oh, you're a socialist and fear the socialists, right? 
So uh, one of the things I'm asking people to do in their videos is to do three things. Number one, educate people on uh, the fact that we are uh, an oligarchy. And you can find that on YouTube uh, through, uh, uh, what is it, Lawrence Lessing's TED Talk on Zesterland, uh, Lesterland. And then uh, the other one is uh, neoliberalism. There's a five-part series on YouTube called This is Neoliberalism. And the last one is an understanding of modern money, you know, which is power, right? So I'm asking people to watch those three videos and then do your own video. And then here's the, the new thing, right? I asked four questions and this is the fifth question. After understanding all that, then ask, are you a neoliberal? I think I get, I've talked to a couple of people about Okay, this, cool. Johnny, thank you. Quick. Thanks yeah, you for did. that. Thanks, yeah, buddy. Just, my, thank you. My, my, my last thing then is Don Bass. Uh, how many soldiers then are... Um, or uh, trapped. I mean, how many soldiers in all are in the uh, the, uh, the Donbass area where the Russians have uh, surrounded? Is it hundred thousand or is it eighty thousand? You know, I don't know. I don't know. That no, is something no. for to look up on the internet. But it's a good question. Okay, so thanks, John. Thanks for the call. And Serge, you're up. Serge, our friend from Ukraine, is on the line. Hello, Serge. Hello, everyone. Um, I like to join the international nerd crushing group Hello. on both of you guys. Uh, okay. Once again, thank you so much for everything you're doing. It's a brigade. Yeah. We have a brigade at this point. Yeah, you guys are the international brigade. Yeah, we're okay. a battalion, so to speak. Even. Yeah. yeah. So um, I just wanted to talk about the uh, extreme polarization that's happening and as one of your previous callers uh, said that, you know, uh, he thinks that the right thing to do in order to change people's minds is to try to talk with them calmly and without, you know, aggression and all that. And since we're talking about uh, media today, uh, I just wanted to quickly uh, point out something that I have noticed about uh, Patrick Lancaster, because I know that a lot of people that follow you uh, watch his, um, you know, on the ground reporting from Mariupol. And, uh, you know, I, I liked his videos first, and uh, then I just realized that a lot of people that he interviews, you know, um, it's either scripted or they just, you know, talk out what they're going to discuss beforehand. But uh, just as a native person, everything those people say to me comes off as something a little bit scripted and maybe played out in order to make Russia look better. And that's interesting. You know, okay, that's interesting. So, so you're saying the Patrick Lancaster, who's an independent journalist, who's based in the Donbass. You're saying that to you, yeah. his interviews from that region appear scripted. Uh, yeah, totally. Uh, well, I can't say anything about his uh, old stuff because I know that he has a lot of videos from Donbass, even maybe since 2014. Mm -hmm. But I, I just didn't have time to look it up all the way. But from what I understand, he's uh, a somewhat Russia-connected agent and... Uh, he lives in Crimea, or he has family in Crimea, and he travels with uh, 
with an ex with an ex military Russian guy mm. who who's like his uh, interpreter because you know if you listen to his interviews uh, you can definitely hear that he doesn't really understand Russian all that well and he definitely needs help in order to understand what some people are saying. Okay, well, listen, sir. The problem is he's not here to defend himself, and I, I, I'm really, yeah, I'm yeah. really, I'm really interested to hear your opinion on that. Yeah, I haven't sorry. heard that before. I, but, but, but I also want to be. Yeah. No, no, it's fine. I, I, but so I, I totally hear you. That that's your judgment, and because he's not here to defend himself, because that's a you know that's a serious claim. I just, um, but I do really appreciate you sharing your impression of him, and that's. I mean, the, no, I mean, I still, it, it, I still like his some of his yeah. videos, and I think that a lot of people that he interviews are actually authentic Mariupol people. But just, mm -hmm. I think that uh, you can even see that some of them are a bit scared to actually talk, uh, you know, to say something to to paint Russia in not the best light. You know, absolutely, absolutely. There were a few ladies that were afraid, but yeah, right. Sure, and that's why it's important to be skeptical of everything. Unfortunately, of course, it's, it'd be nice. It'd be nice. To, it'd be, everyone to do. It would be nice to have a little bit more more trust, but unfortunately, in war in times of war, you you have to be really skeptical whether it's coming from you know voices that are favorable to the Russian narrative or or voices favorable to the U.S. led narrative. That's just how it is. So, absolutely. thank you for for yeah, and just a, a very little quick point that I like to point out is that. Um, you know, uh, one of the main goals that Russia sort of set out from the beginning, from the start of this war, was the denazification of Ukraine. And I think it's a very fair point, and it definitely something that can be used to rile up Russia's population, and uh, obviously due to uh, its rich history and World War II and everything that Russia went through. Uh, but, you know, I just uh, find it incredibly hypocritical for um, Russia to also use at the same time neo-Nazi battalions, uh, neo-Nazi Russian battalions, because I just found out recently about uh, one of such battalions called uh, Rusich. It's, it's an openly neo-Nazi battalion that's been fighting in Ukraine since 2014. And, you know, I've looked up their Telegram channel and other channels and the stuff they share there is quite eye-opening. Like, they openly celebrated Adolf Hitler's, Adolf yeah. Hitler's birthday on the 20th of April. And, uh, you know, they joke about raping and killing Ukrainians because they are subhuman and all of that. But, you know, that's just a small portion of Russian forces, but unfortunately, I think that uh, there's a lot to be said about neo-Nazis fighting on the Russian part, on the Russian side as well. And that's all I wanted to say. Thank you. All right. Well, that's interesting. I mean, I've heard talk of that as well. I haven't, uh, I haven't looked into the issue too closely, but that certainly would, you know, make Russia's claim that it's fighting Nazis in Ukraine very hypocritical, if true. That would have been something worth asking Scott Ritter about. We just interviewed him, and he was very, um, you know, very adamant about how, about the presence of neo-Nazis inside the Ukrainian armed forces, which I think is pretty well documented. So it, it, w it would have been worth asking him about these allegations that Russia is actually using uh, 
neo-Nazi forces as well. It's something I can't speak to because I haven't. Ask him. But, and yeah. Mention it on our show. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. I'll try to share some links in the comments right now. Thank you. Yeah. And also, Serge, if you could, if you could message them to me, would be even better. No. Oh, okay. Yeah, I'll do that. Sure. Thank you. All right. Thanks. Thank Thanks. you, Serge. Be safe. Bye bye. Yeah. Thank be you. safe. Bye. Okay. Uh, I love that we can talk to Serge on this app. It's very cool. Very uh, cool. International voices that this brings in. Okay, John. Hello. Uh, that was a hard call to come after. Uh, yeah, please ask Scott Ritter about the Russian Me Tooist uh, Nazi brigade. <laughs> um, I just had a quick point. One was that I, I you had a bleak point earlier, Aaron, about uh, uh, just that there's not a lot of unity. In a, and yeah, everybody I know has had that conversation where we talk about, I wish there was a sort of a channel of, of all the left people that we look at. But I, I see it happening more and more. I see you guys calling each other out or be appearing on each other's show, and it sort of builds a the same kind of space, whether it's that clear or easily accessible. It's nice to have. Um, what was my, my original point Why I called was, um, what do you think when Scott Ritter talks about, or um, Chris Hedges talks about like this fading empire and the way Russia has sort of checkmated us with their gold, pegging them the ruble to the gold standard and stuff like that. Like what then, what is this failing empire going to do? Like how, what's your, your guys better informed imaginations about how long or how violently this thing is going to thrash? I don't know. Or what's the Substack I should read to learn about that. I'm not, I'm not convinced that the empire is failing. I mean, it's certainly crumbling internally. There's a lot of internal problems in the U S but I think it's too early to declare the empire is, is over. It's only a couple of months into this war. And we don't know the long-term repercussions yet. So I'm not prepared to make those kind of declarations. Mm. Okay. Thank you, guys. And, and, and Russia, certainly so far, it, it does, I mean, look, what you can say is that all these predictions about the collapse of Russia immediately as a result of these sanctions and cutting it off from the economy, that hasn't happened. The ruble has remained yeah. stable. and um, But I also, we don't know the long-term impact. You know, things could get worse. Not, not too long ago in Russia living standards plummeted pretty drastically. And now, of course, Russia's done a lot to recover from that. And obviously, you'd like to think that, assuming Russian leaders are somewhat rational, they wouldn't have launched this without being able to factor in yeah. the consequences and preparing for it. But but who knows? You know, I just find, you know, I'm not ready to make those kind of sweeping de- declarations. Okay, that's interesting. Thank you. I think yeah. I'm um like the American U.S. government's malleability and adaptability when it comes to empire and hegemony. That's another thing. And they're so sadistic. Even though I've had people on my show. They're, like, And they're so sadistic. They love to make people, populations suffer in countries whose governments they want to overthrow. So never underestimate the sadism of people in Washington because right. look what they're doing now. Cuba, you know, it's, it's, it's crazy. Syria, Iran, that's what, you know. They'll they'll and they'll apply that playbook to the extent they can to Russia as well and 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 and, and anywhere else that that sides with Russia or doesn't go along with the U.S. I mean the, a um, the U.S. has a lot of power that and that power can cause suffering for a lot of people. So I'm I'm not ready to write off the empire yet. All right, no war, Chris. You are up. 
Good morning. Hey guys. Morning. morning. Sorry for that feedback last night. I don't know what happened there, and there's still some glitches in the call. I forgave you. It's weird sometimes. I forgave you immediately. Don't worry, Chris. Thank you. Where's your uh, white headset today, Aaron? Yeah, I I didn't need it today. I also I also got bullied about it too much. Uh, I I was bullied into not using it. So yeah, it was it was bullied into oblivion. (laughs) Um. Did you guys have any reaction to that foreign policy article about uh, Michael Tracy that came out a few days ago from uh, Justin Ling, I think his yeah, name is? his name. He's a fellow Canadian. And I didn't read it. Sorry. Uh, no, please. Uh, <laughs> Michael Tracy wrote a response, which I haven't read yet, but I'm sure it's very funny. And basically, like, foreign policy, and basically accused Michael Tracy of pushing disinformation and didn't give Michael Tracy a chance to respond to what they're saying about him, which is classic disinformation. Because, yeah, I mean, like, you know. Tracy yeah. tried to reach out and talk to him, and he refused. Tried to tie him to Victor Orban and Hungary. Like, I'm, I don't know that I've ever even seen Michael talk about Hungary or Victor Orban. Maybe he has, but it's not certainly not prevalent part of what he discusses. <clears throat> so, well, that that doesn't matter. To these people, they, you know. That doesn't matter to these people. They'll just tie you to whatever is convenient for their narrative because that's what their priority is. This was in foreign policy? Yeah. Yeah. And they didn't let him respond or they did let him respond? They didn't. They didn't even contact him. They wrote about him and didn't didn't contact him first. So he responded like on his own Substack or something? Yeah. Yeah, and he reached out directly to Justin Ling and and Justin Ling would not respond or or allow him to, you know, discuss it at all with with him. Um, yeah, totally. Um, couple things trending right now on Twitter. One is, um, is Steve Martin for some, uh, some parody he did of King Tut back in 1978 and people are trying to cancel him for that. Curious if you have any reaction to that. Um, looking blackface or something. Why? I don't think so. No, just, I think he had a, I'm not sure exactly. I haven't seen the videos, but I was just reading some of the tweets about it, and it's just another cancel culture thing, it seems. But, um, and then goodbye Twitter is trending. Uh, it looks like the deal might go through between Elon Musk and Twitter, and everybody's very upset about that and signing off of Twitter. And my thoughts on that are, are good riddance and goodbye and go to Truth Social or something. I don't know whatever um and then just a little bit of an awkward subject but you know when people talk about scott ritter a lot of people instead of talking about you know the facts he brings up and stuff they like to bring up uh things criminal things from his personal life and do you guys have any tactics for doing dealing with that or do you just ignore it and uh know that the people that are doing that are disingenuous and don't have uh, anything to argue with on the factual analysis he has of, or his analysis, um, of situations and going on in Ukraine. No, look, he was convicted of a pretty serious crime. Uh, he disputes the claims made against him and, uh, alleges that there was some, I believe he says that there was, you know, there was some political targeting against him going on. But uh, no, you, you can't shy away from what he was convicted of. And he served his time. He served his time. He says it was a really hard period in his life. And 
you know, um, I don't believe in criminalizing people who, uh, for their past and who have served their time already, especially. And he did. And it, but it doesn't minimize what he was accused of and convicted of. But it also doesn't mean we don't listen to him and don't let him speak. And I don't believe in that. I mean, I, I would interview Barack Obama, who was a war criminal. So why should I hold anyone else to a, to a higher standard? Obama's assassinated children, lots of children, there you go. American there you children go. too. Yeah, American kids with blue passports. There you go. Yeah, and so you know, I find that way more egregious than any online conduct that Mr. Ritter's been convicted of. Yeah. Um, and, and that's worth saying. His conduct was online. It was. It not, was not physical. It was not physical, and I I do think that's an important distinction. If it was physical, I think. Uh, that would change things, especially it would make a difference the, to me. It would, it would, especially if there'd be no contrition and rehabilitation. But that's not the case here, so it's yeah. But but no, but it's not something to shy away from. Did you see that tweet? I was trying to find it. I can't remember who it was from, but Matt and Glenn both responded to it. Uh, somebody said, "Was it McFall or I forget?" And I couldn't find it this morning, just now searching through Twitter again. Somebody was like, politicians used to be scared to lie blatantly before Donald Trump. Donald Trump ruined it. And everybody, nobody's scared to blatantly lie anymore as a politician, which is just an absolutely comical stance. Did you guys see that tweet by chance? I missed that one, but that's part of the canon of everyone believing that things got bad in Washington when Donald Trump came to power before that everything was was peachy so doesn't surprise me at all chris we're gonna we have to wrap thanks guys thank you thanks for the call and tyler you're up hey guys love your show uh great to talk to you as always um so you've had a couple of callers today uh come at this issue from a couple of different perspectives and i think it's one of the more significant and undercovered issues of this whole foreign policy kind of entanglement that's going on right now. Um, the the war is obviously significant and the material developments are on everyone's minds, but the, the, the foreign currency developments and the possible collapse of the petrodollar are, I think, the, the, the issue here that has sort of the most long-term global significance and it's one area of the conflict that I think is drastically undercovered. And just a couple of quick things going on is, you know, oil and national natural gas purchases in rupees and euros and, uh, you know, um, between India, Saudi Arabia, China, Russia, all these all these foreign powers are sort of responding to our sanctionings and attempts to isolate them in ways that sidestep really the 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 foremost uh you know source of power of our you know previous foreign policy establishment um and so i know you guys have said this is this is sort of something that you haven't really looked into yet and you've actually in the past given me a couple of people to to research but i just think this is one of the most possibly long-term significant and and undercovered uh, areas and consequences of all these recent events. So any uh, future coverage that you could uh, lend to that would be greatly appreciated and I think uh, very important for viewers to see. 
Thanks, Tyler. Thank you. And the person I'm thinking of is, who's good on this is Michael Hudson. I'm sure he's yeah. got stuff to say that yeah. I, have, I haven't checked out, but I, but I will. Um, yeah. So thank you. I know a couple of people have made comparisons to Rome and, you know, uh, a couple of people and, and, you know, you said, you said earlier, uh, you know, never, never underestimate the, the sadism of people in Washington. I think that's a, that's an illustrative point because like these, the, the consequences of these currency devaluations and, and the possible loss of the petrodollar as a global standard could, could lead uh demonstrably sadistic washington leaders into some really really terrible and terrifying decisions and so the possible outcomes of that i think really need to be explored in the the news media space um because you know if there's anything that would lead to further expansion of kind of global suffering it would be kind of the the washington establishment trying to trying to cling to power and I really do think in the next, you know, five to 10 year time scale, if there's anything that threatens, you know, our global hegemonic power, it's this, it's this currency issue. So uh, please, please, uh, if there's, if there's any time on your, on your schedule coming up, dig into that and, uh, and I'll leave it there. I'll sign off. Thank you, Tyler. Thank you. And the last caller, Johnny Thank you. GL. Hey guys, how are you? Good. Hi. Hey, good, good. I've always enjoyed the show. I've uh, been a subscriber for a little while. I'm still, I still got to catch up on the Scott Ritter interview this past uh, from the past week. But uh, one of them mostly just called in just to uh, you know, uh, you know, dish out some compliments because you guys, you guys do a great job. You keep it a little lighter than uh, some of the other lefty commentators that it's hard to you know get yourself out of the pit of despair afterwards. So I appreciate that. Uh, I did want to pile on or not pile on, but maybe kind of run with the thought a little bit that you had earlier, uh, Aaron, about you said you know the, this. There's some empire is ending talk, and and you said no, I don't think the empire is ending. And I was, I've kind of kept an eye on this. I I think you're right to reference uh, Michael Hudson's work on how the international monetary system works uh, with the U.S. dollar standard post Bretton Woods. Um, and I I guess the best I understand it is the empire isn't ending. In fact, it's consolidating and strengthening the existing parts. Right, like Europe looks a lot more tight with the U.S. than it did prior to the war or to, to the outbreak of the war starting in February. Um, and uh, Japan and Korea look like they're still in the tent. Um, a lot of other countries have chosen very conspicuously to stay outside the tent and not joined in, um, you know, imposing sanctions. Mexico in particular, I find particularly interesting right now. Um, the the very subtle game of that's being played between AMLO and um, and the U.S. is is rather interesting. Uh, there's been some good write-ups on naked capitalism, uh, on on some of the little uh, moves that AMLO is making. U.S. pushback on that. Uh, but anyway, I, I thought I'd like to describe the best I can understand it is that post Cold War we didn't have the United States didn't have a coherent opposition block. And I think this Russian war is drawing, this Russian-Ukrainian war, is drawing clearer lines for people, right? China's clearly not in the good guy camp from the U.S. standpoint. Even India doesn't seem to be in uh, the United States' good graces right now. Uh, Iran obviously has been on the outskirts for a long time. And these are countries that all have very divergent interests, right? And I think we're almost forcing them into a block um, where they wouldn't otherwise be in one. Does that sound like more, you know, something along the right lines of how you guys are seeing this? I mean, I think you're right that the U.S. empire isn't ending. Like I said, in Europe, it looks stronger than ever. 
But I do think people are getting a little early with this end of empire talk. And it really, it's just like, well, we have a coherent opposition block for the first time since the end of the Cold War. I'll, uh, I'll hang up and take your, take your, your thoughts offline. Yeah, Thanks, I mean, look, look how unable Europe is to stand up to the U.S. And even now with sanctions on Russia cutting, causing higher prices for basics for European citizens, no European government yet is willing to defy the U.S. line. And so that's, I mean, that's certainly an argument for the U.S. empire being in good shape that European supplicants are going along with it. And actually, speaking of which, I have an interview with Richard Sakwa on my show Pushback that I did last week that is about this, that basically Europe is totally going along with the U.S. line. And so that, that, that's one of the many reasons why I, I'm hesitant to declare an end to the empire. So that, that's a good point. Yeah. Yeah. There was something that he said that reminded me and it just lost, it just went out of my head. Some interview that I did, I can't remember. Oh, oh, uh, Vijay Prashad talking about how um, uh, the United States, in a way, is bringing um, China and Russia closer together. Yeah, absolutely. There's no doubt about that. Yeah. I mean, Russia is going to be very dependent on China, it looks like, right. for a long time to come. All right. Well, listen, that was a great show. That was a great call. And we thank you guys so much for joining. Um, make sure you subscribe you to usefulidiots.substack.com. Also, youtube.com slash usefulidiots. Also, check out the pod, rate and review the pod, so that we can defeat Pod Save America and other adversaries. Anything else, Aaron, we want to remind people of doing? To do, I mean? Uh, just keep listening to Tupac warning us that yeah. they got money for war but can't feed the poor. Reminding us of that, yeah. Yeah. And, oh, I, and if you want, Katie, I can serenade. I can take us out with a little bit of uh, the Northern Lights singing "Tears Are Not Enough." And anyone, if you want, yeah. you can insert tears with jabs. Okay, here we go. We're gonna start it off with Gordon Lightfoot, Canadian legend. Wow. As every day goes by, how can we close our eyes? How can we open up the sky? Joni. Oh, Joni. Neil. Oh, Neil. Brian Adams. Oh. Oh, good harmony. Here we go. Don't you know that jabs are not enough? Jabs are not enough. Isn't that beautiful? Isn't that a great song? It is. It is great. I got to listen by, to it more time. And by the way, Brian Adams has a really underrated voice. He's so soulful. He really does have a yeah. great voice. I love the summer of 69. Great track. Great yeah. track.
I do that in karaoke. Yes. <laughs> oh, I got to see that. Oh, I yeah. See that. Good. All right, everybody. Thanks so much for tuning in. We'll be back with Useful Idiots this week as normal on Fridays. You can check us out at usefulidiots.substack.com for bonus content. And we'll see you next time. Great. Thanks, everyone.